What's up, y'all? Today we've got Evan Kirkham, co-founder, CEO at Outlier, sports betting platform, hockey fanatic. We had a good conversation about uh, sports and his business, uh, just navigating sort of the intersection of, uh, I guess, I don't know, influence, politics, financial power. Yeah, it's a fun conversation. You guys will like this one. As a businessman, you're building a company. Yeah. You love playing hockey, so you're physically active, probably yeah. prioritize value, sleep, and health, and eating well. How are you balancing like all that stuff with having a one-year-old and building a company? Yeah, I really don't know that I am. I, honestly, <laughs> like I, I definitely don't have like any sort of quick tip or secret for it. Um, I'm just kind of like a grinder by by nature. I mean, like. I'll give you an example. So my, my wife and I met in law school. I promise this is going somewhere. My wife and I met in law school. Um, she's just like wicked, wicked smart. Uh, you know, would barely open the book and like just crush the test. I was the type of guy who would spend like 15 hours just like without standing up, just going through the book to basically make the same grade as her and uh, or, or to earn the same grade as her. And so like, I'm just like I said, I'm kind of a grinder by by nature. So I don't know, man, just put in a lot of long, long hours. And um, I mean, if there's any real secret, like I do try to have kind of like deep work focus times that's helpful for the work for work. And then I'm also just like, I try and this, this just goes beyond work, but I try to like really like live in the present, I guess. So, so like, yeah, when I'm with the baby, um, that's all I'm doing. And when I'm at work, that's all I'm doing. You know, I might receive like 15 texts. I won't even look at them until I've like completed my work task. So I don't know. I've been able to, I think just I compartmentalize well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's really no secret. I just, I'm awake a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. How many, <laughs> what's how, many how many hours of sleep do you get? Oh, uh, it depends how well the baby's sleeping. Um, I don't know. I like six okay yeah gotcha I, I honestly though honestly so the here's the sad reality though i i know a lot of people are like oh i can function on five i can function on four or six whatever i'm honestly more of like a nine hour guy myself i've always been Small. just like needing a ton a ton of sleep right. um so i don't know i just guess i guess i have some new circadian rhythm now that that now that the baby's here so yeah you're probably just disciplined and like you want to like make sure that's all done yeah i yeah. like nine if i can get 10 that's like amazing yeah yeah i'm kind of that i want to be that way i was that way yeah yeah like i'll go to bed at a reasonable hour and then i'm just like honestly like the anxiety of like holy shit i have so much to do just like wakes me up and i am like fuck this i'm already up it's like i got five six hours and these yeah you know yeah. coffees and protein shakes Whatever. Yeah, and, and one thing that I uh, probably wouldn't want to admit to, like, I don't even know who, my coworkers, I guess, is um, I do lose a ton of productivity, like, after three. I mean, yeah. honestly, shamefully, probably, like, afternoon. But, like, yeah. from that, from, like, eight to 11 or maybe noon, I won't even look away from my computer. I can bang out, like, you know, dozens and dozens of emails. And, like, I, I just... I'm pretty hyperproductive from like eight to 11. And that's where I think yes. the majority of my work gets done for the whole day. 
dude okay do you, so have you listened to andrew huberman's podcast oh my wife is like a total fan girl yeah so yes <laughs> okay so so it's so funny because like i was listening to his podcast just talking about work he's like i have like two work sprints where mm-hmm. i like wake up and like i do 90 minute work sprint they're like yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm like this guy works like 180 minutes a day like what the fuck is that about I yeah yeah hours a day and then actually last week i started like trying to do like 90 minute sprints where okay. like put away my phone like all this shit and i segmented it in 30 minute sprints so i'd be like take 30 chill for five minutes just relax or breaded or something then 30 then 30 yeah and it's crazy how much shit you can do in just like a hundred and like just in yeah. a 90 minute sprint it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, just this kind of idea of like compartmentalization, deep work. I, uh, yeah. you, um, we were just talking, I think before we started recording about uh, jujitsu, and I brought up Lex Freeman because of the gym here in Austin and all that. Have yep. you listened to his, do you listen to Lex Freeman, actually? Yeah. Okay. I like, he's, he's like, yeah, I, he's interesting. I have my thoughts on Lex, but I like listening. Okay, okay. Well, the reason I bring it up is, have you listened to his episode uh, with Walter Isaacson yet? No. I okay, haven't. okay. Well, he interviews Isaacson, who just wrote the bio on Musk, and I'm sure this is in the bio on Musk, but in the bio on Musk, but um, he was saying that what Elon does, or his like, superpower is that he's like, or one of his superpowers is that he's just amazing at compartmentalization so he'll go from worrying about like first amendment issues for like this you know 30 or 90 minute sprint and nothing can pull him away from it he's just like like laser 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 focused on it and then the second he puts it down and picks up like a new issue about i don't know a a tesla battery then all of a sudden he's just like so deep into the battery that it's as if the first issue had never been there and and anyway, so I I think that's pretty interesting, and 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 actually Lex asks like, is there a way to replicate that? Can I replicate that? Can anyone replicate that? And Isaacson says something to the effect of, no, nobody can replicate it. It's just innate. Like it is just who he is. It's almost like a. Uh, I mean, even goes as far as to say like, it's it's almost like a, a a disorder that he's like able to block everything else out. Um, but anyway. Yes. Yeah. Totally. That makes sense. Like you, like that's the only way that dude could have like a billion kids and also three or four companies that are yeah. different companies, and they're all yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, how much do you get out of like uh, biographies and like biographical data of like what successful people do? I love. This sounds so lame, but I really love uh, business bios. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I've, I've read Jack Maws and Steve Jobs and um, Phil Knight and whatever, a bunch of them. And um, I don't actually know. And this is maybe a comment on like my reading generally. It's really hard for me to ever like pin down the lessons that I'm getting out of a book. Like actually right now I'm reading uh, like a World War II history. Reality is like in six months, I won't actually, I'll probably remember like three discrete facts from like a 900 page book, right? Like, so I don't, I'm not really, I don't really know what I'm retaining, but the whole, my whole reason for reading biographies 
is I know that it's making like an impression on me. So, so that's my whole, that's my whole philosophy with reading is I'm not going to beat myself up for not like remembering or being able to adopt the specific, um, I don't know, peculiarities of the person that's being the, the of the character, but like maybe it'll impress something on me that I don't even know came from the Phil Knight book, but now I'm just like, I act differently because in that moment, I, yeah, it just, it made an impression on me. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that, that's sort of how I think about reading generally is um, I'm just looking to, to consume things that'll make an impression. And I'm not too worried about uh, retaining any actual lesson. That's, that's powerful. That's interesting. It's like, um, sometimes I think about like how subconsciously, if you hang out with people, their norms kind of create like boundaries on like the way that you think, right? Yes. Simple example is like, you know, if you grew up in New York and you live in New York City, it's like most people get married at like probably late 30s, early yeah. 40s, I would imagine, right? Yeah. And so like the behavior of the community kind of orients you, not intentionally, you're not like, oh, well, all my you're friends. Right. It's like, you're just like, oh, like people are dating, like this, this, this. It's got yeah. a later compared to Nashville and, and probably Texas and yeah. like maybe not Austin as much, but probably still Austin. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, people get married young. Like it's normal. Right. And that yeah. orients the typical person down a certain pathway. Uh, I totally uh, agree. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with like a culture and people and in literature or whatever that, again, you don't really know what lesson or learning or behavior you're trying to craft but knowing that like i want to align myself with like these business people therefore i'll read their biographies yeah and in some kind of almost um unconscious subconscious or unconscious way i, I am aligning myself with them yeah yeah totally totally yeah. and especially like um with tech startups i feel <laughs> like um there's a different scale of thinking in it. And with maybe other types of businesses that, you know, um, at least I found it helpful to like interface like with other tech founders and like other tech people, because it's right. like, okay, like they're thinking about the world a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's in your group that too. Yeah. You don't want to get too far down the Silicon Valley, like rabbit hole. But it's true. It's true. And you need to like, and this is something I'm trying to do. Like I, um, I, I have, a, and not like our businesses, I'm sure we'll get to talk about this in a second. Not that our yeah. business is like super far along, but one problem I'm running into right now is the people that I, uh, like if I just go to like a networking event here in Austin or something, yeah. I'm, I'm regularly around people that are actually like once one or two steps like behind me with their business, which, yes. which is fine. Like, I mean, that's exactly where I was two years ago or whatever, but I'm trying to be really intentional about finding people like at the next level because i don't necessarily have anything back to the discussion we were just having i don't necessarily have any like discreet questions to ask them so it's not like oh i really need to ask you you know i really want your help on whatever our go-to-market strategy i don't have it an ask but i just like want to be around you because i know that that's how i'm going to level myself up so i've been trying to do a lot of that now where i'm like okay are there you know groups or like a lot of it happens organically where I'm like, oh, like I met this really cool dude and he's got a series B company that it's really crushing. Like, you know, 
let's go get drinks and like i want to meet your friends no i totally feel that like you just want to be or you want to be in the com like what do they think about what's the scale of their thinking yeah how addressing some problems totally no i feel that you go to any entrepreneur event and it's like 90 percent of the people are like i have an idea with an MVP. exactly which and- hey great but i'm not learning a ton with that yeah totally totally hey there and welcome to outlier We're really excited for you to check out our first of its kind sports betting platform. If you're like most sports bettors, you're interested in leveraging data to make smarter bets. But what you've probably found is that it's not that easy to make data-driven sports betting decisions. It's a big win if you can find raw data related to the matchup or the particular player you're interested in betting on. It's an even greater victory if you can make sense of the data, which was likely presented in the aggregate. And it's a borderline miracle if that data gives you full context and full confidence not just about how the team or player has performed in the past, but if the team or player will cover the particular line you're planning to bet tonight. That's where Outlier comes in. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So Outlier. So so you were a securities lawyer before yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so maybe you'd be interested to kind of like talk about like your pathway to starting a tech company, getting into sports betting. Like, you know, what's interesting about that to you? I know you're, you're an athlete, so maybe there's like some... <laughs> Interesting things there. An athlete, right? I do play hockey, but I don't know if I'm yeah, an athlete. <laughs> but like, I don't know. You see, like, you play sports and like you're. No, in no. I take it seriously, but okay, appreciate that. Um, yeah. I'm from Dallas. I'm actually from the suburbs, uh, Flower Mound. I grew up there. Did my undergrad at the University of Mississippi. Um, learned a ton at at Ole Miss. Actually, this is probably a totally separate discussion, but uh, small town, deep south taught me a lot about um relationships and networking and uh like interpersonal leverage which sounds kind of weird oh yeah a quick aside uh so in texas and this is probably true in new york i don't know if it's true in new york or whatever but in texas um money is power if that makes it or money is status i should say yes um yes in mississippi uh proximity to power is status and what i mean by that is like the most like the 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 highest status i guess you could probably have like as a student at university of mississippi is you know i'm a 10th generation mississippian whose dad is best friends with the governor and it doesn't matter that my dad's a mechanic uh i still have all the credit because i have proximity to the governor uh, and so I learned a lot about like politicking and relational uh, authority, I guess, or power. So anyway, learned a lot of that and other things in Mississippi. Um, then I actually worked in politics because that's what that community breeds. So I worked in politics for uh, about three or four years. I did, I like, during my undergrad, I, I spent every summer on Capitol Hill or at a lobby firm or um, uh, working with Senator KBLA Hutchison from Texas. Uh, then uh, I took my the fall of my senior year off and I raised money for Mitt Romney. Um, we yeah. could get into policies if you want, but I'm very much yeah. like a Romney Republican. Yeah. Um, uh, spent fall in Boston at headquarters and did all did a lot of fundraising for him. And then uh, uh, when I graduated, I moved to DC and worked for the Republican Senatorial Committee, another lobby firm and think tank. Eventually, when I got honestly pretty burned out of politics, I uh, moved back to Dallas and went to SMU Law School. 
Um, graduated there in uh, 2017. I worked as a securities litigator from 17 to 20, 2020. Um, I worked for a firm called Carriage and Coleman, which is uh, it's about it's only 50 50 so some odd attorneys downtown Dallas. Um, really, really great uh, litigators. Uh, they they've got business too, but they have like really good litigators. Um, and uh, so I worked with the boss who gave me a ton of opportunity. I actually got to sit at least second or maybe third chair uh, for four trials, um, federal, state, jury, judge. I got to like take witnesses, argue motions in front of the judge, all of that, um, which was really great because I had always been a, I was a high school debater. I debated in college, like competitively. I uh, was on the moot, I was moot court in law school. So I was always going to be a, litigator um so but i did that for three years and i had this kind of like existential moment where i remember specifically i'm sitting across a table from uh one of our clients and uh he's in the countertop business just like installing granite countertops nothing i necessarily want to do but you know i'm i'm all suited up you know like professional attorney sitting at the top of this you know skyscraper in downtown dallas seems like i'm the guy with like in the better position the dude walks in there with like flip flops and, and, uh, you know, t-shirt or whatever sits down across from me. And I have this moment where I'm like, Oh, like I want to be in your position. <laughs> We're fighting your fight and battling your battles. And I'm just kind of like a hired mercenary. And I just yeah. didn't, I didn't see where the, the real reward was in that. Like yep. it's intellectual. It can be intellectually stimulating, no doubt, but, um, I'm fighting somebody else's fight. So I wanted to fight my own fights. And and I um so that brings me to uh roughly 2019, 2020. I'm the kind of guy, like probably you are, like probably a lot of the people that are watching this are that um there's there's always having kind of startup ideas, right? Like, oh, this should exist in the world, that should exist in the world. So for a period of about a well, maybe six months or a year, I was just openly posting my startup ideas on LinkedIn because my theory was or my idea was if it just stays in my head, it's just gonna die on the vine, like what do I care if someone goes out and starts the company that I thought would be cool? Like, great, that exists in the world. So I just started posting about it openly. Um, I was watching a Thursday night football game and two kind of notoriously awful commentators were on the call. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And I uh, and I thought to myself, I'm like, dang, like a Cowboys super fan should be able to call this game and I should be able to tune into that commentary rather than this commentary. And so I had the idea um, for a social sports talk app called Colorcast. I posted it on LinkedIn. And the very next morning, one of my contacts DM'd me and he's like, hey, take that down. Let's go get lunch. Um, that turned into the first $10,000 check, which eventually turned into a hundred grand. Um, was able to build the team, start building product, hiring, raising, hiring, raising. And eventually I just... And it was only probably 250 grand at this point raised. But at that point, I was like, I need to be a better steward of this investor money. I'm going to quit my law job. So that's kind of what brought me into the the startup space with, with again, the first product called Colorcast. That's sick. Yeah. So that's sick. Okay. There's so, okay. There's so much there. Yeah. I know that was a lot, but I just like, I just got to roll it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So, and then, I mean, like, if you want to, I would be super interested in hearing more about like, interpersonal leverage yeah. and like how being pro like 
close to power yeah plays out like you know do you, so if you were to start this company in like mississippi how would that be different than maybe running it in dallas or in austin so i really love mississippi like well i say this kind of half-heartedly but i don't know if i'm serious about it but like <laughs> if there was enough industry there and enough talent there i might still be there the problem is mississippi has this giant brain drain because the people who get educated and want to like be really entrepreneurial they honestly go to nashville atlanta dallas or dc um yeah. and uh so there's like this there, there's this brain drain that i that I, they're trying to fix but it's it's really hard the, the state's obviously very very poor um exploring this idea of like proximity to power again so it is something i learned in mississippi but i think that um that it extends beyond politics it extends uh beyond the south or mississippi to give you an example i um when i was raising money for for mitt romney one of the biggest um one of the biggest insights i had is about uh kind of the donor class so so in reality I, so i was like the i forget the title I was like assistant director of finance for the midwest or whatever and basically all that meant was i'm a glorified party planner so I'd get one really high net worth individual in, you know, Detroit to anchor a fundraiser. He would then, you know, we would then talk to all the high net worth individuals in Detroit in the surrounding area and say, hey, if you pay 75 grand, you can come to this dinner. You can listen to Mitt give a speech. You can take a picture with him, whatever, all of that. Well, what I didn't realize at the time, and I only realized after going to a few of these events, is although those individuals were pro-MIT, pro-business, whatever, the reason they came to the event was not for MIT. It was to sit at the table with the other dude who paid 75 grand. Interesting. It's this idea that like kind of getting, I don't know, it's like you're, people were willing to pay to get their network correct. Yeah. So anyway, I don't, I don't know if that, how, how much that relates, but that was another insight I had about this kind of idea of yeah, proximity to power. And, and turns out that's like what the donor class is all about. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's all like Mississippi taught me a lot of just like soft skills and I don't know, never burn a bridge. Keep really, really close to all of your contacts. Give more than you take. Um, I don't know. I can spit out a bunch of other. <laughs> so, sometimes like driving towards an outcome. This, this is the way that I used to view the world. Um, is like, I always thought like the world was like purely meritocratic and like purely competence based. Like if you're really good, then, and I think that's true over like an infinite time horizon. Like, I think that is true. Like, like if you're the best, you'll be the best and people will recognize that. And okay. like, yeah, yeah. I do think like being a cool person and just like be like being helpful, like helps you like take a, like a green shoot, you know, like. Totally to kind of skip some things, which maybe actually is under the umbrella of competence. Like, I don't know. I, I, uh, that's that's actually a really good point. I do think like social competence yeah. is, and, and like relational and situational competence, street smarts maybe, I don't know, that's probably wrong, but something to that effect is yes. um is really, really powerful, but is undervalued and like under taught. And, and that might be because it's really, really hard to quantify. It's easy to be like, this dude crushed his SATs. It's really hard to be like, this dude is cool. You know? 100%. But, this yeah, dude is cool. Important. I want to give his company an opportunity. Like, you know, and like the cooler you are, I feel like the more like runway you have to like mm. get something right, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah. Whereas, like if you're not cool, 
even if you've got a sick thing that you're selling, it's like, yeah, people don't want to work with you or yeah. 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 yeah, That's that's interesting. I'm going to think about that a little more. I even see it like right now. I was just talking to a founder. I'm obviously, I'll tell you who it is, but, um, and we were talking about like raising in this environment and we had, uh, we had raised actually kind of a fourth economic regime turned, uh, but, um, by all by all measures, he's outperforming our uh, was outperforming our metrics, and he is having a hard time raising. And it kind of boiled down to like he's like I just don't know if he's like I just don't feel like I'm connecting with the investors, and it has nothing to do with the metrics. It has huh. more to do with just like maybe the pitch is wrong, but it, but it's actually like deeper than that. It's not even about the pitch. It's just like maybe they just don't connect with you as a human. Yeah, when you first get on the call, and that's a really important box to check. It's the vibe, like yeah, the yeah, to be right. dialed. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's hard. I mean, if for I mean, I don't know if our fund would be happy with me sharing this, but like, I mean, in one of the early stages when like they went and they presented like their, you know, this is what they want to do. We went to a nice dinner, and then we went to like a brewery, and we each all had like six drinks and mm-hmm. it's like it's fun there was no business discussed it was yeah. just we had fun talked about random shit and honestly like i was like man i just like these guys in any yeah. environment and you know and i i hope that they felt the same way about yeah. me hopefully they still do uh and so yeah that's like so yeah it's so important i mean it's hard to like over zoom and shit to like build that type of agreed agreed it's just hard. Um, Wait, full circle on this, because I do have one more kind of Mississippi anecdote that I think yeah. brings us all together. So after my sophomore year of college, I was um, in D.C. and uh, kind of like interviewing for internships, whatever. Stupid. I mean, I was like, what, 18? Um, no, in there, I, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've interviewed because you're like, you want college credit, you know, oh, you're like, sure, sure. need money. You're just like, I need to pad yeah. my to get a real job totally I've, I've, so, yeah. so there there was this lobby firm that's in uh well let's leave it at that there's this lobby firm who uh is kind of at the top of what's called like or kind of referred to as like the mississippi mafia so <laughs> like mississippi is very well represented in dc like you will meet so many people and it's partly because that's where a ton of the subsidies goes so they just have they're like very overrepresented plus they 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 understand how to like work there well. So anyway, all that to say, I'm 18 years old. The managing partner who was, and this sounds like so it's a, a bunch of nepotism, maybe it is, uh, who was a who graduated from Ole Miss, was at the same fraternity as me, uh, I mean, but was like mid late fifties. He's like, Yeah, come in for an interview. Okay, here's what the interview was. So I walk in. And they're like, hey, come in, you know, come into his office. I won't name the name again, but come into his office. Second I walk in, he has like a wet bar in his office. And all he wanted to do was, and this is how like two and two in the afternoon, all he wanted to do was slam like four whiskey meats with an 18 year old and talk to me about like, oh, like give me an update on what's going on at Ole Miss. And like, so the entire interview was just a vibe check. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, ah, man, like, that's obviously the extreme where it's like the entire thing was a vibe check and there was no merit. But in some ways, it's like maybe 
Yeah, they definitely, the Mississippians definitely understand that piece. Yeah. Maybe the vibe is the merit. Maybe like, the vibe is the merit. Yeah. Like, Maybe like, it's just your ability to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know if I should even be telling that story. But they, yeah, that, that reminded me. Like, that was a very weird experience as an 18-year-old. I'm like, okay, I did not expect. I'm coming in there with, like, a pad folio and all this. He's like, do you want all the rocks or neat? Uh, uh, you know. No, like, so I was actually having this conversation with Taylor and maybe, like, with somebody else. I don't know. But, like, it's like you look at a resume and like you in five minutes of a conversation, you're like, okay, this person's smart. So like everything yeah. they don't know, like they'll figure out in like a month. Totally. And like, like, why do you need to go like dive into their exact skill set and what they've exactly done? Like they'll yes. like over two, three years, can you like if there's a conflict, are they gonna fucking freak out? Like right. if there's a agreement, can they disagree and commit easily? Or is there gonna be a whole song and dance to be yeah. like hey, you need to do this? It's really important. Like, I feel like you actually pick that up and just hang it out, right? Like, yeah, it's so true. How they talk about their wife, like, how, like, all that shit is like, gives you a perspective on like them as a person that yeah. is actually important, like, more important than like, okay, do they know, like, like how well do they know Python? Yeah, off sales, baby. It's all about yeah. those off sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's sick. Okay, so color cast, and that's, that's the original instantiation of the business. Correct still in the sports space and then maybe what um two-part question what prompted the pivot and then what stage are you guys at right now like seed states series a you know where are you guys at in the journey yeah i'll answer the second question first so that i don't forget it frankly um so we seed we're a seed stage uh we launched outlier in january we uh have grown it to like almost a hundred thousand plus users Sick. uh we charge twenty dollars a month so we've gotten like pretty significant ARR fast. Um, yep. So it hundred thousand users. Yeah. And that those aren't all concurrent. And those aren't all our subscribers. I'm just talking about like total, total user base over time. Yeah. yeah. So that's grown really, really fast. And, uh, yeah, now, now we're like, ah, do we raise another round? Do we just like get profitable? Um, so we're, we're running into some of those questions, which are actually kind of fun to contemplate. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, so that's where the business is now. Um, where, uh, the reason we pivoted, I'll give you like the whole pivot story. Cause it's, I think it's actually pretty cool. And hopefully there's some lesson in there for someone else. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we were doing about 10 and a half thousand monthly active users on Colorcast. We were doing about 500 broadcasts a week. Um, so by all intents, and, and like investors were very interested. They're like, oh my God, this is like growing. And you guys have kind of cracked the nut on marketplace content all that stuff. We were actually literally in the middle of raising arounds, like, and, and it was going well, all the stuff. But, um, we, and me and the two co-founders had this, like, come to Jesus moment where we were like, okay, this is going well. Now we did see some like softness in the business and we weren't quite sure how to continue to scale and all that. Uh, but, uh, but our main concern was actually like the macroeconomic environment. And we had this, uh, the thesis, which was um, when this economic shift that we're living in now, this new economic regime comes into being, uh, you're not a business unless you're generating revenue. And I think that now people totally get that. But at the time, we were still in this the economic regime of past, which was grow, 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 try to figure out how to monetize. That's 
just doesn't really exist right now, in my opinion. And we called that shift really early. And we were so convicted about it that it that we decided to literally hard pivot into something that would generate revenue now. Um, we already had relationships with FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, and Caesars because part of our contemplated monetization strategy for Colorcast was a broadcaster says, hey, this is a really great bet. We surface that bet. You take that bet. Sportsbook compensates us. So we already had relationships with the uh, sportsbooks, and we were already ingesting and mapping their APIs. Uh, but what we found is that uh, when, and this is credit to our, our product team, they're exceptionally good at um, mapping the APIs and uh, basically pairing any given sports bet with really hyper-contextualized and visualized data um, that's like easy to understand, easy to use. And so we started this down this road of, okay, what would it look like if we hard pivoted? And I'll save you the whole step-by-step -step process. There's like a very clear four-step process to the pivot, including like thousands, literally thousands of interviews and surveys, um, all this sort of like stack ranking exercise, an Amazon PR exercise that we did, all, all sorts of stuff. And we eventually came up, came up upon Outlier. Of course, some of our most of our investors were like, "Okay, guys, like smart. I agree about the revenue. Get there fast." A few of our investors were like, "What are you doing? Like, we invested in Colorcast, and, and literally we're trying to close around right now about Colorcast." But fortunately, we launched it, and it just took right away. And so those investors are now like, "Oh, good job, congrats!" Like, so uh, they always believed in you, which is kind of funny, but um. <laughs> uh, yeah so but honestly if it hadn't took the conversation would be like very different so i'm i'm very thankful for that obviously yeah, yeah. but uh but yeah that's kind of how the pivot came to be and um we kept the team super super lean with really really high performers uh yeah and we're just going deeper and deeper down the sports betting rabbit hole and pushing it we've done something like 80 plus app updates in the last nine months like we're just our team's pushing code like twice a week. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all of it. Yeah. yeah, that's sick. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that took a lot of psychological conviction and there's like self-belief and belief in the team. Cause yep. yeah, I know it's, it's, it's really funny. It's like, um, as the founder or founding team, it's like, there's a greater risk, not of loss, but of not achieving like business potential just yeah. in the typical way, like investment deals are constructed. And so I feel like founders in general, like our risk appetites and like we have closer access to the data, like are way higher than the investor base. Yeah, true. You know? yeah, and true. like our visions are way longer, right? Cause we're able to see beyond the P and L, right? Yep. You know, it's interesting. Like sometimes you just have to be like, fuck, like if this is wrong, like we're fucked and I'm going to look like an idiot. Yeah. But I feel compelled to make this bet. Like I just have to. Exactly. Like, like it's exactly what it was for us. So like when we were looking at color cast versus, well, at that time to be named outlier. Yeah. We were like, okay, what is the clearer path to revenue here? We already had a user base. We had, a, we literally had no product Yeah. for outlier, literally nothing. Uh, some of the code for the APIs, all that, but whatever, basically nothing. 
And we were like, okay, we can either try to grow ColorCast to some unknown number of users, 300,000 monthlies, a million monthlies. I don't even know what it'll take. Or we can quite literally start from scratch, rebearing the whole company, build an entirely new product and see if it takes. Yeah. Right? Like that was the decision. And we we're like, I think the latter is somehow a safer bet. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so great. <laughs> Totally. No, totally. It's like sometimes like, yeah, it's funny. I was having this conversation um, with a friend of mine and she was like talking about like two decisions. One seemed more risky than the next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it might be intuitive for us, but it's like risk is always just one side of the decision. Like the other side is upside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. And so it's like, even if this is slightly higher risk, it's like the, the gain to towards like a path that you feel is profitable and yeah, accretive to the business is like way higher than continuing down the, the, the standard way. Right. I'm biased, but we built the company. We raised like really, I mean, 15 grand when we first started the company because we went yeah. to an incubator. But then we basically got to profitability and then we raised uh, like over a, couple of years and then we raised like our first like private equity series a you raised uh, after profitability yeah for okay, sure well that's, cool. that's cool okay yeah because practically what it actually allowed was like there was no there was no like if we don't raise we run out of runway <laughs> and i think what that did for us psychologically is like we could be really methodical about like hey here's the path we want the business to go what <laughs> investor is aligned with the path that we want the business to take nice. nice versus having to try to frame the business in a way that appealed to every investor that you is know? why i want to become profitable because i mean for a bunch of reasons but like the optionality and the almost like patience that it affords you yeah. is oh, yeah. really 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 valuable in my opinion to making good business long-term business decisions yeah, totally. And like the the people with like the biggest businesses that are adding the most value, like it's like Carlos Slim, you know. Carlos Slim, I don't know who's Carlos Slim. He wasn't he like he was like the Mexican dude who like had a hold on, let me make sure this like okay, I'm like, uh oh, should I know this guy? <laughs> what he's like a business he's like a business magnate, he's got like a bunch of conglomerates. Okay, 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 sure. This is this. I mean like these guys, they, they, they own their, their, they own their businesses, you know, they sold 90% of it. To, yeah. But like having a strong and fundamentally strong business, I think like you then have that as an option if you want to do it, but like you're still in control, you're satisfying your customers. Like that feels really good. I think. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, congrats, man. That's, that's our goal is can we get profitable to give ourselves that optionality? Yeah. Like it's, uh, choose your own destiny that make your own destiny at that point totally we're not profitable today by the way since we raised obviously oh, nice. <laughs> it's a ton of money you so. started spending harder yeah for sure <laughs> it's, and it's always like scary like you're you're like holy shit this is so much but you know the bet is like you want to invest in the company's growth you want to take market share like this 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 and so yeah. i love our guys they they always make fun of me because like i'm never wearing like a nice clothes then they're obviously like super buttoned up, like MBA, like okay. educated. These are the these are the private equity guys. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. My guy and gal, yeah, Robert and Laura. They're they're sweet. What what do you want to share about Outlier in terms of 
like follow on product plans? Like where's the business going maybe more tactically? So big thing on deck is something that we're going to release in like four weeks. I'll, I'll practice that. I literally practice every single one of my answers, I feel like. But OK, so we have a product now called Outlier Premium, and it is actually let me take one more step back. The better betting landscape. There are two better types. There are what are called bottoms up betters and top down betters. Bottoms up betters are the sports betters that look at all the stats and know a lot about LeBron James and think that they have edge over the sports books by looking at the stats, knowing how LeBron plays, knowing how we'll match up against so and so. Again, looks at all the historic data, makes the bet. That is what we've been catering to to date. That's what we call outlier premium. Very stats heavy um, without feeling overwhelming. Um, graphic representations of different like uh, matchup scenarios, all sorts of stuff. We cater to the bottoms up better. Awesome. But that's how we've been growing. The second type of better is what's called a bottom or sorry, a top down better. The top down better doesn't give a damn about LeBron. They might not even know who LeBron James is. Their whole strategy for betting is looking at price discrepancies between sports books or having some it's it's basically like a Wall Street trader where they are like chart mystics, right? Like they'll they know, okay, with with one hour left uh before tip off, I know that there's gonna be a price move upwards on this line. So if I can pick the line off now, I'm beating the quote unquote closing line value. Uh or they know that this bet has particularly particular expected value because uh you know it's it's priced this way on one book and priced dissimilarly on the other five books so that's the top down folks uh we're about to release a product that caters very much to the top down folks everything from a product related to expected value betting we even have an arbitrage product where it's like okay you can get you know the Cowboys money line on FanDuel, you can take the Eagles money line on DraftKings, and no matter what, you're going to win $50, right? So it's very much just like odds comparison, line shopping, looking for uh, inefficiencies in the market, et cetera. We're releasing that product in about uh, four weeks, and it's going to be significantly higher priced than what our current product is. So the whole team has been working on that um, and really excited to get that out. Uh, as a general proposition, I think that the way that we want to evolve the products in the business is to keep leaning further and further into the pro betters. We started with like an intermediate better, and now we're going like more and more and more and more and more pro yeah. with the intention of then eventually going very novice. Yeah. And the reason we're doing it that way is because the intermediates and the pros give us really great product feedback because they understand sports betting a hell of a lot better than the novice. So it allows us to iterate on the product a lot more intelligently than if we just went after novices right away. But then the other thing too, is it socially validates the product when we do go to the novice right. and it's like, okay, well, all of the smart betters are already using it, but now we've made it really simple for you. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, and I've never really used this analogy before, but it's, it's, it's as if we like, we want to build E-Trade or a Bloomberg terminal before we build Robinhood. Yeah, totally. So that, that's sort of the way we're like thinking about product right now uh, and, and thinking about like the development of the business. Um, and I think that'll set us up nice in the long term. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the, the newest product coming, coming down. That's sick. Yeah. Awesome.
where can people find Outlier on the interwebs and where can people find you on LinkedIn? If you're still dropping startup ideas, I, I, like people will still- I'm not, yeah, honestly, the only reason I'm not dropping startup ideas is because I feel like our, my investors will be like, stay focused. Uh, but I still have them. Um, not, that's how you build the community. Like, yeah, you know- Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. You know, like, um, I'm this personal brand, like as an exec. It's like super important. No, like, it, it did be real. I, yeah, I feel like I spend, honestly, yeah, a lot of time doing that. Um, yeah. I like people. I feel like people mute me on LinkedIn now, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Taylor's um, on my ass every fucking day. He's like, post more on LinkedIn. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. by the way, just a quick aside. Awesome hire. Like Taylor rocks. Like he is a networking genius. Um, yeah. Content he's genius. So yeah. yeah, and he's chill. Yeah, Bye. and it is cool, dude. And plays hockey. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, all, all the soft skills, all the soft skills, he's just oozing soft skills. Yeah. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Evan Kirkham. Um, you can find Outwire two ways. You can or on any social we're at outwire.bet, D-O-T bet, outlier.bet. Or you can find us on the web at outwire.bet. Or you can just find us in the app store, Outlier. So cool. Yeah, that's uh and then and then also I should say this seven day free trial. So sign up, check it out. But then actually most importantly is we are like hyper, hyper focused on feedback, even though we've like done well and we feel like we're in a good spot. Um, we always want more feedback. Like it would be a great day if we got a hundred tickets with feedback. Like that'd be an amazing day. So we want more of that. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you, Alvin. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks. You're listening to the Founder to Founder podcast powered by Gun.io's Frontier Network. We release a new episode every Thursday morning, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you stream your music. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. You can follow us online at The Frontier Pod or drop us a line at team at gun.io to get in touch about hiring world-class tech talent. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.